Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, I do not think I have looked more forward to one of our podcasts than this one. Chance to do, you know, a deep dive into this year's draft, answer everybody's questions about it. Uh, thank you to everybody who uh, sent us questions on uh, Twitter, Discord, it, even one on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> our least successful of the platforms uh, but uh, thank you for that RJ before I even get to the cold open I'm gonna do with the surprise question I always love to try to stump you with um, I gotta wish you a very happy day happy Bobby Bonilla day oh that's right <laughs> July yeah, no, I, <laughs> that's right he's getting his check you know you threw me for a loop of course because <laughs> Happy Canada Day, Dylan. I know, I know. It's it's a happy day all the way around. Uh, so yes, happy happy Canada Day to to everybody in Canada. Um, I guess happy Canada Day to all of us who enjoy hockey, because really without Canada's continued support, I don't know that the support the sport is around. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. So to all our all our Canadian listeners and viewers, uh, thank you for the sport of hockey and uh, and a happy Canada Day to you. For sure. And may we all be so successful as to end up with jobs in hockey that uh, we then get bought out. And instead of just paying us the lump sum of the, our remaining salary, we instead get about four times more spread out over the next 35 years. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day <laughs> to Mets fans everywhere. Um, all right. So cold open time now, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> talk a lot over the course of that Stanley Cup run about the Colorado Avalanche. Colorado Avalanche, of course, having two of the three players I remember from the infamous 2013 NHL draft bus crash that I was involved in. Of course, seated one seat in front of Nathan McKinnon. Got to learn lots of interesting facts about Nathan McKinnon, at least at the time of the draft anyway. A lot has changed over the last nine years, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know that his favorite show is still the OC, but that is sure what he told the Colorado Avalanche uh, executive there during that bus ride uh, from Jersey back into the city. Um, so the two players on the Colorado Avalanche, obviously Nathan McKinnon, JT Confer, another one. There was a third player on that bus, RJ, that I remember being on that bus. Okay, Michael McCarron, who was the first round pick of the Montreal Canadiens, 25th overall. Can you tell me what NHL team Michael McCarron currently plays for? Nashville Predators. Wow, you did. I had no idea. I thought he was out of the NHL, to be perfectly honest. You know, I think he I think he scored a goal against the Kraken this past season okay. with the Preds, and that's how I remember him. That sounds about right for the Kraken. <laughs> yep. Getting the Michael McCarrens of the world involved, right, everybody? Um, yeah, I, I stopped paying attention when he when he left the NHL at the end of the 2018 season. I just figured that was it. So I was I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see that that all three players I remember from the bus crash still still getting it done at the NHL level in one shape or another. His season may be slightly less successful than McKinnon's and Confer's at the end of the day. Hey, you know what? Set a career high and like goals, assists, points, all That's, that. So That is true. That is true. Seven goals, fourteen points. Good for Michael McCarron. Uh still getting it done. All right. Moving on, I know everybody wants to, this is the, like the deep dive into the draft and all that kind of stuff, but there was other big Kraken news from this past week that we should touch on because it is very big news, very important stuff, and a very welcome bit of news, if I do say so myself. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, so per a press release, uh, the Kraken announced that uh, when they release single game tickets for next season, uh, they'll be adding new ticket inventory priced at $20 and $40. Uh, they added that a third of their single game inventory for next season will be priced at $40 or less. Now, of course, to get access to the tickets, fans need to register with Ticketmaster for a, what's called a verified fan presale. And I believe that's to ensure that these tickets, they're not resold. You don't have them you know, on the secondary market, people just flipping them and all of that. Uh, now, I let my opinion on this be known on Twitter. I think it's an awesome move. It's going to help a lot more fans be able to see the Kraken in person and grow the game. This was a concern from last season with the tickets as expensive as they were. There were a lot of people that we heard from who you know would have loved to go to a Kraken game, but just couldn't afford to go or to take their families. You know, and you know can't blame them, right? I mean, the tickets even to the end of the season were still quite expensive. So I think this is a great move uh, to help more people. Uh, see the Kraken, which is ultimately what you want to do to grow the game. So I, I let my opinion be known on that. What do you think, Dylan? Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it, going to sporting events has gotten so expensive over the last really 20 years as sports as an industry has exploded. That's That's been, you know, it's it's almost like a barrier of entry to fandom, right? I know more kids now than ever before that have never been to to sporting events just because it's so expensive to take a, a family, even at forty dollars, right? You're talking a family of four. Well, you're spending one hundred and sixty dollars on tickets alone. That's not counting fees. That's not counting transportation costs. You know, once you get to the game, any merchandise you're gonna buy, right? Like it it's an expensive endeavor. So I like the Kraken taking strides here to try to keep those costs down. Try to make it as accessible to as many people as possible because at the end of the day that's not just what the Kraken need obviously it's going to help them grow their fan base long term in Seattle but it's really kind of what sports needs as a whole as as we see you know and I'm only saying this cuz we're on the deep dive so I got to live up to the namesake as we're seeing you know Gen Z you know kind of coming of age here and they are by far and away the least interested in sports of any generation you know that that we have like that data for uh and i think a large part of that is just because they weren't able to really experience it live and and all the fun aspects of going to games uh with family and friends and all that stuff and i think that's just been because it has gotten so expensive over the last you know 15 20 years or so so i like the kraken taking strides to uh, you know, try to try to cap the price. Like I said, it's at the end of the day to take families to these things. It's just it's never going to be cheap anymore. But uh, I like that the Kraken are are doing this. Yeah, absolutely. And and the tweet that we sent out about that too got a lot of reaction yes. from a lot of different people. Um, and I think the most telling thing was seeing the reaction from fans of other teams and, and how much they wish their team would do that. Yeah. There were so many tweets like that. Like you know, please you know listen. Uh, you know, so that was great. Now. I do think we should address the season ticket holder issue mm -hmm. because we did get some negative feedback on that tweet as well, uh, almost entirely from season ticket holders who I think felt a bit slighted by this, you know, seeing yeah. as how they bought very expensive season ticket packages. And now, you know, to kind of see some of these lower price single game tickets, it's probably fair to think, you know, okay, why, you know, why did I pay all this money? And now to see these tickets going for cheaper, why did I even become a season ticket holder? Right now, I, I understand that concern. And, and honestly, if I was season ticket holder, I would feel a bit slighted by this. And um, I think it comes down to that may, maybe this was not managed in the best way. I'll, I'll say that much because mm -hmm. I think this is something the Kraken should have done from the very start. 
from the start of their inaugural season as a way to grow the game. Um, and I think if you had done it then, then every would everybody would have been on board with it uh, because everyone's trying to understand you're growing the game. Everyone's all in this together. The new team's coming in. You don't have the season ticket holders who've had kind of a full season of, of maybe having a hard time trying to resell some of the tickets, uh, you know, that they wanted to move or that they couldn't be there for. Um, and I just don't think you kind of have that ill will built up. Now, just because this isn't maybe, you know, isn't the best time that maybe they should have done it sooner doesn't mean they shouldn't do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do understand that concern. Yeah, it's it makes a lot of sense. And we knew that there was a lot of um, I don't want to say like, you know, uh, there wasn't really much uproar or anything, but there were certainly season ticket concerns after the fact that, you know, you had to you had to buy X amount of years going into this thing. And then obviously we all know how the Kraken season went. It was not in a way that anybody wanted and or really expected. Uh, and I think that that also kind of left a bad taste in the mouth. So to to kind of come off the season and all of that kind of stuff and then be like, oh, yeah, we're kind of lowering prices. It, it feels less about trying to get more people in versus, well, we're lowering prices because the expectation now for the product we can deliver is lower. <laughs> like that's the message right. that this sent instead of it. You know, like you said, if they started this from the very beginning, it would be like, no, OK, they're doing this to grow the game. I understand that. I still bought in because I wanted to be a season ticket holder. I wanted to go to all those games. I wanted to be a part of that and be, you know, season ticket holders really are the thing that makes all of this go anyway, right? The the financial commitment that they make uh, and support the team with. So I, I do think that, yes, this is something that they put a, should have probably led with originally. The timing of it is a little more suspicious, even though I still think it's a good thing and it's, and it is being done for the right reasons. I totally understand season ticket holders kind of having a bad taste in their mouth about it. Yep. And, and two more things on this one. Uh, I do want to say they mentioned in the press release too, that this kind of comes as a result of, of listening to the fans and, and getting their feedback. And you could definitely see that that's the case, you know, as people who are kind of plugged into the, you know, Kraken fans and, and that whole sphere, um, Definitely something that people had talked about that people had wanted. Uh, and, you know, as, as someone, you know, me who spends so much time kind of around the team and really sees more of the inner workings, I can confirm to everyone, they really do listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they may not get everything right from the start. You know, that was kind of part of the story of this team for a while. Yeah. They may not get everything right from the start, but they are committed to listening and to trying to improve on things. And I, and I think that commitment's going to... Um, you know, going to extend going forward. Like, you know, I see how much that the Todd Lightwicky, you know, cares about these things and, and he's always trying to get that fan feedback. Um, so, so I think that's a good sign too. And, and this is just another, another sign of that. Now, one more thing on this that I want to close with, because I mentioned uh, that fans of other teams were reacting, you know, saying like, why won't my team do this? You know, yeah. or I, and most of those responses were kind of in the vein of, you know, oh, this would be really great if, you know, X team could do this. Like I could finally, you know, afford to go to some games and it'd be really nice. But my favorite <laughs> response, and this is perfect for the market, um, was just this response from Freddie on Twitter. At NHL Flyers, you taking notes, you bleeping bums. <laughs> Tell me you're from Philly without telling me you're from Philly right there. So that's the Flyers fan response, uh, and I just had to share that because I I thought that was just perfect. 
Yeah, no, that is that is perfect. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always nice when your team is the one kind of taking proactive approaches to really anything <laughs> and, and the other yes. fan bases are jealous. That's how you know you're supporting the right team. So uh, very happy that the Kraken are doing all of this. Now, you mentioned several times throughout your report there uh, about the interaction we got on Twitter. And I put out a poll yesterday before, you know, we kind of got to our big draft preview that we're recording right now. Uh, just kind of asking a couple questions of Kraken fans. And I just want to take a moment to thank everybody who participated in the poll. Uh, looking at it now, 230 votes on the poll. Thank you so much for that. And my poll was just, I had two questions for Kraken fans before we totally dive into the draft preview, but this is relevant to the draft. Do you want the Kraken to build through the draft, aka the quote unquote right way, you know, build from the ground up, and do you think players like Yanni Gore, Jordan Everly, Jaden Schwartz, Alec, uh, Alec Larson, uh, Adam Larson, <laughs> J.B. Alexia, Carson Soucy are part of their core, right? Because we talk a lot about the core. Obviously, Matty Beneers is going to be part of the core. Jared McCann's part of the core. Like These are guys that are either locked up long-term or are very young and high draft picks in Matty Beneers' case. And so I just kind of wanted to get the, the overall feel. And I had you know four, four responses. Yes, build through the draft. And yes, they are part of the core. Yes, draft, no core. Free agency and win now, yes, core. Free agency, win now, not core. And overwhelmingly, people want the Kraken to build through the draft, which I think is the appropriate way of, of building up this expansion team. I think certainly, you know, when we look at the fact that they have like a million picks these next couple of years and everything, everything is lined up for the team to build through the draft. We've seen so many contenders just look at, you know, Tampa and Colorado in this year's Stanley Cup final, the superstars that are getting them to these to the Stanley Cup. Those are guys that they drafted and developed themselves. You know what I mean? Like that's just the way that this goes. So uh, very happy to see that around 88% of people, I say around because I have 99% is what all of these add up to. <laughs> it does, does not add up to 100% because I'm assuming it's just, you know, Twitter's rounding everything up or down. Um, so 88% of people for sure want this done through the draft, which I think is awesome. And, and that's all great. The Where I want to kind of have a conversation with people is and why I lumped these two questions together is that 64%, so basically two-thirds of Kraken fans want this team built through the draft, but also feel like those names I mentioned are part of the Kraken's core. And I only want to bring this up because I'd seen this going around a lot lately. And, and lots of people saying lots of stuff about how, like, you know, well, that shouldn't be the core because, you know, well, we they were the core last year and we saw how well the season turned out, right? Like, all that all that kind of stuff. And, and there's lots of discussion there. And I think that that's all viable, too, like whether or not those are guys that can lead winning teams, whatever. But really, the thing I want to focus just on is building through the draft and having those guys be main parts of your core are really at odds with each other just because of the contract status and really age of the players involved building through the draft is going to be at least another two or three year process right wouldn't you say rj i think i think two yes. years is probably the earliest we could expect something to to come around and even in two years yanni gord you're going to have one year left on his contract and he'll be 32 years old uh schwartz will be 32 eberle's his contract will expire in two years and he's going to be pushing 35 um, guys like even Alexiak and Larson, they're 29 right now. You're talking about them, you know, 31, 32 
by the time you're kind of getting ready to compete with your guys. And at that point, you're also looking at, you know, needing new contracts for, for them. So it, it's just one of those things of we can debate whether or not those guys are, are solid enough to be core members and, and lead a team to a Stanley Cup or, or whether or not they're, they're more um, finishing touches, so to speak. But the bottom line is, if the Kraken are going to build through the draft, as most of us want them to, including you and I, RJ, it's going to take time. And we have to acknowledge that when the Kraken finally get there and are a super competitive team, these guys are probably not really going to be a part of it. They're certainly not going to be the, the, the driving forces of it. And, and I know that that's difficult to say because these are the players that we know. Many of the people that will draft and develop, we don't even know who, the, who they are yet, right? Um, and, and we love people like Yanni Gord for the passion and energy that he brings. But just know that, that he's probably not going to be the thing that is leading us to a Stanley Cup just because of how long it's going to take and what the process is going to entail. So it's a difficult conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation, but it is one that I wanted to have kind of with the fan base as we approach the draft, as we wait to see how Ron Francis handles all having all of these picks. You know what I mean? He hasn't made a move yet. He hasn't traded for it. And Alex to it yet. Obviously we saw, you know, he was involved in Fiala, but ultimately Fiala going to the Kings. Um, so as all those questions are circling the fan base, I just kind of wanted to get that out there that just know the players we love now are, are potentially slash probably not going to be the players that are going to be leading the team to a Stanley Cup two, three, four, five years from now. And I just wanted to put that out there just because I've seen lots of conflicting feelings and opinions about that. Yeah, no, that's that's well said, Dylan. And, and it's something that I've kind of touched on, too, when looking at like my free agent previews with, say, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, Philip Forsberg. And, and you kind of have to make that distinction of you've got, I guess, the current, you know, core now of, of mm-hmm. those guys that you mentioned who are, you know, 29, 30, Everly 32. Uh, and then you've got the future core of Beneers and, and Riker Evans and Winterton and whoever they draft this year, you know, and maybe next year. And those are, are kind of two separate groups. And and you have to make that choice of are you going to bring in someone who fits for the current group or for the next group? And that's one of the reasons that I was kind of against maybe bringing in a Goudreau or Forsberg, because age wise, those guys align with this current group. And I, I think that even if you add one of those big guys to that group of Everly, Schwartz, Gord, you know, Alexiak, Larson, realistically, they're still not good enough to, to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, you'd have to add a lot more around that. Whereas this next group of, of you know, Beneers, Winterton, Evans, and all these draft picks, you know, Nemitz, whoever they take it for, um, I think has a much better chance of, of being in that Stanley Cup competing level. And that's maybe why I like a guy like Dabrinkit or Fiala more, because those guys can fit kind of for both groups a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, lots of people talking about Kevin Fiala and, and whether or not that would have been a good move. I saw some people saying, well, he's also kind of too old, but I mean, he's younger than Jared McCann. And I think McCann can be a part of that younger core. He's 26. Yep. You know, talk two years from now, it'll be 28. Three years, 29. Like Fiala would be, you know, two years from now, 27. Like he would be still very much in his in his prime or certainly in his top tier production years uh, to contribute. And, and that's why I think McCann can be can be around for, for that kind of stuff. And I'd lump him in with the younger group. But yes, all right, with that out of the way, RJ, we can just finally get to the draft stuff. But everybody's been here for. Um, let's go ahead and answer some of the uh, the community's questions about the draft. 
All right. Yes, I've been looking forward to this uh, quite a bit, you know, getting to ask you some of these questions. Uh, and another thanks to everyone who, who sent questions, you know, on, on Twitter, Instagram, the Discord, all of that. Uh, so I guess we'll start off uh, with kind of a general draft question. This one from Jess. Uh, Dylan, what does a successful 2022 Kraken draft look like to you? Um, so it's, it's pretty broad question, but I think for me, a successful draft would be finding two really, really solid players, like, like, uh, like, like real contributing players. Uh, obviously when having a top five pick, you want that pick to be borderline star potential and get into this later. I'm not sure anybody in this draft is really a superstar. Uh, Bob McKenzie talking with, you know, scouts around the league. A lot of guys were saying, a lot of pro scouts were saying, we're not sure that there is a first line forward anywhere in this draft. So it's it's an unfortunate kind of a, a, a lesser draft class this year. But for me, I want two solid contributors. That's top six forward. That's, you know, a really like a top three defenseman, people who can contribute on special teams, help out my power play. Or if they're a two way player, I want them to be one of my top penalty killers. That's what I look for uh, and would would be considered a successful draft for me. You could argue with the fact that they have four second round picks that that number should be three. Um, but I'd argue I want two top tier guys and then I want a third NHL player. Like I want a third guy who's going to play 400 plus games in the NHL. Um, that's to me a successful draft just when you have five picks in the top, you know, what, 60 or whatever. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a good assessment. I'd be happy with that if they were able to get that out of this this draft class, kind of given what it is this year. Um, and especially considering they they probably will not have all four of those second rounders. They probably won't make all yeah. of those picks. I hope they don't. I, Ron Francis yeah. hopes they don't. Um, so, you know, we'll see what they end up going with as far as how many picks. But I, I think that's probably a good assessment here. So you were talking about kind of this year's draft class versus last year's mm -hmm. uh, and how this one's a little bit weaker. Yeah. Now, uh, this question here from William, and, and I think Robert asked a similar question as well. Uh, where would Beneers be ranked in this year's draft? It's a fun little thought experiment. Yeah, so, well, certainly knowing what we know now about Beneers, he would be the first overall pick. Like, hands down, nobody would be debating it. 10 out of 10 scouts agree. Um, even though, but looking back at like him in his draft year where he had offensive concerns, you know, the shot wasn't really there, all the stuff that he then focused on over that last year at Michigan before he joined the Kraken, I still think he would be up there. I mean, you're, you're talking about right now a potential first overall pick, kind of the probable first overall pick being Shane Wright as like a two-way center kind of guy. He's trying to model his game after Patrice Bergeron. I think Matty Benier showed more promise as a two-way guy. He, he showed a little bit more offensive upside and playmaking ability than Shane Wright has shown. So I would argue Beniers, even at the time of his draft-eligible season, would have a, a super solid shot at going first overall this year. Yeah, I have to agree. I think if you look at the two of them as prospects, I don't know you know, this as well as you do, but um, you know, even thinking about how people talked about him last year, put him in this year's class as down as, as everyone is on these guys. Now you've got a lot of talk around Slavkovsky going number one yeah. and is, is right for real. Um, I didn't really hear those doubts about Beniers last year. No, not at all. Beniers was kind of locked into being a top three guy last year in a, in a much more solid draft class. Yep. Uh, so now moving on to some questions about the Kraken's first pick, of course, that'll be fourth overall. And I think 
understandably, this is a pick that people have a lot of questions about. They're wondering what the Kraken are going to do. Obviously, there's still some uncertainty because you don't know who's going to go in the top three here. Um, and we'll start from Aaron, who uh, may be suggesting something a little bit off the board here. We could see some chaos. Uh-huh. Um, he says, first gentleman, awesome job. Thank you, Aaron. And my question is, who either of you personally like to see picked and why it's Matthew Savoy? <laughs> um, you know, cause points, man, at the end of the day, points is, is what it's all about because goals is the object of the game. Whoever scores more goal wins points means goals are being scored. And that's why Savoy should be the picket for, I guess, if I have to depend, defend Savoy, that is of course not who I would want them to take, but I'll give you a <laughs> chance to defend Savoy. Another short king. That's that's my answer. Uh, you know, got to pair him with. Uh, is he five nine? What's he listed at? Uh, let's see. He is listed at five nine as of the combine. Five nine one seventy. Right. You got Yanni Gord already on the team. We had uh, I don't know what Zarnik's list or what Zarnik was listed at, and then you got Kuhlman. Uh, yeah. yeah, just add another great short player. That's that's my my case. Yeah, and more flow. Can't go wrong with mm-hmm. that. Uh, but as to who you know who like we would want dream scenario. I don't think I've made it much of a secret. I want Joachim Kamel uh, to be a member of the Kraken. I think that he is, has the most offensive potential of anybody in this draft, just from a pure goal scorer standpoint. Uh, I talk about it in the scouting video that I did about him. I think he's the smartest player in this draft. I think his playmaking abilities, not so much as him being the playmaker, but being on the receiving end of a playmaker, uh, just being able to think at that high level. I just think him and Matty Beniers could just make so much offensive magic happen between the two of them as they just outthink everybody else on the ice together in their in their movements and uh, how they like to get open and, and find each other. Uh, I just think that there there's a lot of offensive upside to come I talked about Bob McKenzie and his rankings talking with scouts. Uh, pro scouts did say they think that he might actually end up being the, the only guy to be a top line forward in this draft. There is that potential there. Uh, so uh, personally, I want Joachim Kamel. How about you, RJ? Assuming that, uh, you know, kind of the top three that we've seen, Slavkovsky, Wright, and Cooley go at one, two, and three, then I, I would agree with you and go Kamel. I'm not sold uh, on either of the two defensemen, and, you know, we'll kind of get to that later uh, of Nemitz and Juracek uh, as as being as sure as we'd want to be one of those top-line guys. I would take a, a shot on a forward, and Kamel is, is my favorite of those. I, I think you said it perfectly about kind of the chemistry you could have with Beneers, uh, liking his instincts and, and kind of the whole package there. Um, that's the best balance to me. That said, if, if one of those top three falls, then that's who I'd want to take. Yeah, I would, I would, I would take Wright or Coo- or Cooley over him just because of the center mm. position. I have doubts about both of them. Like we talked about earlier, Shane Wright, more of a two-way guy. I see him more as like a complementary second-line center kind of thing. He's gonna, he's gonna, yes, he's gonna score and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think that he's a little limited from the playmaking standpoint. And on the other hand, you have Logan Cooley who can do everything himself, but. There's, there is serious concern about how well he can play with others. Uh, he does not incorporate his wingers in a lot of his plays. Uh, I do have questions about his playmaking, not from a goal scoring standpoint, but from a, you know, can he pass? Can he find guys? If he has to cycle the puck around an offensive zone, how well does he handle that? He has not had to do that against, you know, competition that has been as good or better than him yet. And, and so that's just one of those things. I'm sure he's probably capable of it, but just because I haven't seen it, it's a concern for me. But the fact that they can both be centers and both probably will be 
top tier second line centers in the league. I just think that value is greater than Kamel uh, being a winger. Yep. No, that makes sense to me. Now this kind of segues into our next question. This one's from Phil. Should the Kraken take Cooley if he's there or one of the defensemen? Uh, I would still say center, center above all. Like I just think that the the importance of the position, and I think when looking at a writer at Cooley, I th- I think they are that good. They are guys that are going to be able to feast on better matchups in the NHL, not having to be a first line center. Uh, obviously, with the Kraken having Matty Beniers, anybody you're drafting is is going to be you know second to him, uh, and so just the ability of Logan Cooley to kind of feast on second line uh, plus matchups absolutely fantastic his ability to score and finish in every which way possible is amazing his speed and ability to puck handle with speed is awesome um yeah i would love if the kraken somehow were able to find a way to get logan cooley i just think him being able to run the offense a little further down him being on a second unit power play and stuff for you kind of quarterback in that second unit power play would be awesome so i I just think he would help their transition game like a lot of the stuff that the kraken are struggling with logan cooley would be the answer to yeah agreed and and another question this one's just for me um how much of a kind of you know no brainer can't miss pick is Cooley. If let's say that the top three are Wright, Slavkovsky, and then the Coyotes go off the board and pick like Yurichek or something. Uh, it's yeah. how much are you hammering the table to pick yeah, Cooley at it's, that point? It's it's Logan Cooley. Like yes, you know ninety eight percent. I'd be like yes, it's absolutely Cooley. The other two percent just being Kamel. But that's also because I've built such a such a reputation on wanting him so much. But as far as I'm concerned, if Ron Francis, you're sitting there at four. Cooley's there like you're writing his name on the card you're you're clicking enter on the computer on him instantly you know before okay. whoever the coyotes take is finished putting the jersey on on stage you're you're like no Cooley's our pick <laughs> yep uh, of course unfortunately gms never do that they always wait till the last second even if they know who they're taking it's almost like you know television as they have to wait for everything to happen on stage and then interview the prospect uh, walking off stage. Ah, it's almost man. like all that plays into it and ads and, and revenue for the league. Yeah. You know, I, I, I suppose that is important, but but it's, um, it's more fun to think about the, the GM, like just like, okay, our pick is up. And then like asking each scout individually, who would you take here as though they haven't done that a million <laughs> times already in preparation. And, and as they just keep giving the same name, the same name all down the board, make sure to get to the last scout that want to make him feel included. Yes. And then if they say something different, you have to have a whole 12 Angry Men discussion and argument, and you got to go through that whole process. It's just what happens. Yep. Uh, inside the draft rooms. <laughs> Although you know, in the NHL draft, it's all down on the floor, so until, it makes it more exciting. Yeah, until you eventually listen to Pierre Maguire, who was that one person with the dissenting thing and somehow wins the day. Yep. Uh, the Boucher pick last year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I think we've kind of made it clear we'd probably prefer a forward at pick number four for the Kraken. Yeah. But let's talk about defensemen mm-hmm. because I, I think that might be a way that they're likely to go. This question from Robert, which one is the best defenseman? All the mocks have us taking a D-man at four. You both buying that. I think he's uh, referring to Juracek uh, or Nemitz. Another question from Hunter, who's a better fit for the Kraken, Juracek or Nemitz? So let's kind of compare those two. I don't think any other defensemen are really in play for the crack at number four. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, no. The other ones, it's going to be interesting to see if another defenseman cracks the top 10. 
Like, like maybe mm-hmm. they can sneak in late, but I, I'm not even sure about that. So they, those two are definitely the top guys. All right. So let's talk about those two then, because I, I think given uh, all the mock drafts that we've seen, all this, what the scouts have been saying, both of those guys are potentially in play for the crack. And as far as what they might do, maybe not what we do, but what they might do. So who do you think is, I guess, give us a breakdown of each of those two guys, what you see from Nemitz and Juracek, because from what I've heard from you already, they seem like they're fairly different prospects. Yeah, they're very different. Obviously, size is kind of the first thing you look at to, to see the difference. And and that's not to say that, that Nemec is, is small at six foot 200, basically. But just Juracek having the 6'3 frame, he's got the long stick. He can, he can you know, cover so much ground with that. And with his speed, I've talked a lot about how iffy Juracek's skating stride has looked and how inefficient it is and there is definitely zero conservation of movement and you know we could talk about the fact that he had a very serious knee injury through most of this last year and everything too um but but Juracek is more of the the big I I want to say physical but he's not really physical at least not in the stuff I was watching uh he's he's a big body but in a lot of ways is going to try to be more of your do-it-all offensive defenseman He's going to be the guy trying to take shots and score. He's the guy who's going to drift down low into the offensive zone, even circle the net. He loves to do that a lot as he's looking for a passing option or, or a shooting window to open up. He's going to be the guy who, you know, he wants the puck on his stick so that he can then go and make a play. Where Shimon Nemitz is more, you know, kind of just rock solid, Super, yeah, just super solid. Not really spectacular at any one thing. Uh, I love his no look passing. I think he can dish the puck really well. His shot is fine. It's not gonna, you know, it's, it's he's gonna score five goals a year kind of thing, right? Um, but but for me, it's it's more of Nemich looks the part. He plays defense aggressively in his own zone. He uses his stick. Juracek can get lost defensively a lot. Uh, Nemec will use his body to leverage guys. Juracek, despite having that big six foot three frame, does not like to hit people open ice. Uh, he does not like to leverage his body outside of offensively. He'll use it to kind of push and drive to the net, but defensively he doesn't really use his size. Uh, I want to see him use his his stick a little bit more. Um, so it's it's really one of those things of. If you think Juracek can become that playmaking defenseman that can just kind of take your power plays to the next level, take your offensive possessions to the next level, and that you can coach up his defense to be respectable, Juracek's your guy. Much more boomer bust in that standpoint. I could see him being a top-tier defenseman, top-pairing guy, or more likely, you know, a 4-5, right, at the end of the day, after after you've kind of gone through the experiment and it's like, yes, he's going to have some exciting games here and there, but more often than not, he's he might just be a little bit of a liability for you or someone that you only want to be playing 15 minutes a night, whereas Nemec, you can almost slot him in right now today on your second pairing, and no, he might not ever graduate to your top pairing, but he's probably going to spend 15 years on your second pairing just being solid, playing 18 to 20 minutes. Sounds like there's this trade-off here between yep. kind of more of a sure thing and upside. Uh, that's for sure. Now, putting you in the seat here, let's say you are Ron Francis, and because you're Ron Francis, you're at number four, you have to take a defenseman in the first round. Yes. Because that is just what you do if you have that option. Uh, which one are you taking? I'm taking Nemec. I, I, you know... I, I, I haven't tried to make this a secret throughout the process. I think when you're in the top 15 
of the draft, I think you have to play it a little conservatively. Uh, I think you have to lean on things like hockey sense, and you have to lean on knowing that, hey, at the end of the day, this guy's going to give me 800 to 1,000 games played in the NHL. Like I think that kind of has to take priority over trying to find the next superstar uh, guy, certainly when there's as many possible red flags as there is with Juracek. Like, this is not the next Kale McCarr, and I'm just saying that because he's playing against worse competition, right? Like, it's not <laughs> it's not the same. Like, there are significant red flags about his ability to perform his offensive abilities against better, you know, competition. He, he is not as flashy as a Kale McCarr or anything there. So I, I just think you have to play it safe. You know, I know that that's kind of not what a lot of people want to hear, but as far as I'm concerned, taking the guy you know can play for a decade plus on your team, at the end of the day, that's what you gotta you gotta hope for. And and the fact that you have so many picks later on, that's when you take the the gambles, in my opinion. Right. Now that makes sense. Now, a, a couple questions here, uh, both from Chris and talking about that number four spot. So we've talked about. Uh, who to take there, who we would take, uh, you know, what we think the Kraken should do if they want to go defenseman. Uh, but what about moving out of that spot? So Chris asks, any interest in trading up from four to two? And what if Wright is available? Now, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Shane Wright potentially not being picked first, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe Montreal will go with Slavkovsky. I don't necessarily buy that. But what if, what if they do? What if Shane Wright's available? The Devils have made it clear that they're willing to move that second overall mm-hmm. pick. Is that something that the Kraken should be looking at? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Like, just because I think the idea of having um, Matty Beneers and then Shane Wright as your two, like, building blocks down the middle for a long time is, I think, a little too good to pass up if the if the price is right. And, and by that, I mean, if it's going to take four plus two seconds... I do that deal. Mm-hmm. I think those two seconds is is definitely worth getting. You know, having right over one of the defensemen or Joachim Kamel. Uh, I just think that that having that center depth and having both guys be two way guys, being similar to each other. If there's an injury, you don't have to worry about changing kind of play a lot. Uh, if you have to have you know right move up to replace Maddie if there's an injury or something like that. I just think having that kind of rock solid foundation for your franchise for the next decade is worth doing it. If it's going to be four plus two or three twos this year plus your first next year, no, it's not worth it. Uh, just because that's that's an insane price to play to pay for someone that you're basically saying is going to be the foundation of your second line, right? Like it's just not worth that kind of asking price. But if the if the price that the Devils are willing to take is, you know, four plus two, maybe even three seconds, I would consider that. Um, I, I would go ahead and do it, but anything more than that, it's just not worth it. Yeah, we'll see what the Devils would want. I, I think at that point, they might even just stay put and, and pick Shane Wright. Um, I know they've got all the centers they need, but uh, you know it's hard to just pass up if a player like that falls to you, mm-hmm. uh, especially in this year's draft class. Now, let's go the other direction. Chris also asks, any interest in moving back from four to somewhere later on and picking up more assets? So I think any GM should always be interested in that. And I think based on, you know, some of the, the language I've used to describe maybe a Nemich and, and going with a safe kind of solid guy there and just overall in this draft class, not really having the superstar potential up high, I'd be totally in favor of the Kraken going ahead and moving down. Um, I, I would still want to pick maybe top seven 
if possible, just because I do think that that's kind of where the, the cutoff tier is for for guys that, that do have maybe that offensive potential or do have that kind of rock-solid foundation where you know definitively you're going to have this player for a long time and they're going to be productive at the NHL level. So I wouldn't want them to, let's say, move down to like 12 or something, but um, I, I would be okay with them swapping if you know Columbus says, hey, we're absolutely in love with someone or you know we want to take them at four. Uh, you know, can we give you, you know, uh, one of you know or another first to move up or whatever from six i'd be like yes do that every day of the week and just kind of take whoever's there if it's your if it's nemich if it's kamel just take whoever agreed I, I think that's almost always a good idea uh to trade back and get those assets but it, it so rarely happens in the top 10 i think it's been 14 years since the team has traded up or down within the top 10 uh and i don't think there'd be a whole lot of interest on the other side of it i don't see why a team would want to trade up to four uh especially given how this draft class kind of shakes out maybe if logan cooley makes his way there there's a team interested but i i just don't see a whole lot of interest in that um now while we're looking at the fourth overall pick before we move on i have one more question for you um in doing all your kind of scouting research and everything for the mock draft, uh, we've talked about the names. We talked about, you know, Kamel, Juracek, Nemitz, Cooley, Wright, Slavkovsky. We've talked about all those guys. Is there anyone we haven't talked about yet? Any names we haven't mentioned yet that uh, kind of wowed you, that really impressed you, that maybe you'd give a thought to taking them at four? Or let's say if you do kind of trade down to six or seven, that'd be the guy you'd be looking at. Yeah, so... Uh... Kind of, you know, the defense I used for Savoy, I'm not saying Savoy to make that very clear, <laughs> but the defense I used for Savoy about how the, you know, at the end of the day, the the, the point of the game is to score more goals than the opponent. Um, in Inside the top seven or eight guys, the guy that I think is just the best at doing that is Lekiromaki. And so I would consider him as somebody, if you trade down and, and the defensemen aren't there, maybe Kamel's not there, maybe you trade even with Detroit to eight, let's say, and, and all those options are off the board. Lekiromaki is someone that I would say, hey, I think this could really work out well for the Kraken. There are um, like brief character-ish concerns with him uh, out there. I don't think they're anything too serious based on what I was able to see. It's, of course, hard and being over in Sweden and all that to get information like that. Um but just the fact that at the end of the day, this guy just scores goals. Any which way you go about doing it, he does it. Um, I think size is really the only thing kind of missing from his game, kind of similar to Kamel. Those, I, I think those are the two things keeping those guys out of being in the conversation for being first overall, if we're totally honest. Like, I think... I think they're both mm -hmm. better players and project better than a Slavkovsky, but Slavkovsky's got the size and therefore he's there. Um so I, I would like Lekir Maki. Otherwise, unless you're trading down, I like guys like Marco Casper. Again, he's kind of a conservative pick. This guy's going to be a rock-solid second-line center for somebody or you know a second-line winger for somebody who's going to contribute on both special teams. But he's not like a superstar. There's no reason to reach at four for him. You know what I mean? Like I think you're better off right. taking an image there if you're going to play it safe. I like the offensive upside of Frank Nazar or Yurov. But again... It's not worth reaching at four for either of them. So uh, unless the Kraken trade down, I think you're you're better off, you know, with the names that have kind of been circulating around that top five conversation all along. 
All right, so we've covered that kind of top 10-ish area of the draft. I think we've, we've got that pretty well there. Uh, so let's move a bit later into the draft. Uh, and this is something that we've gotten some questions on uh, about maybe the Kraken moving into that kind of mid to late 20s range. Mm -hmm. They've got the ammo to do it. Uh, and so I'll uh, go with this question from Paige. Also, Hunter and Scott asking similar questions. What kind of package does it usually take to move into the late first round? For example, if uh, Ivan Moroshenchenko is still available into the 20s. Now, I, I think I can handle that one yeah. uh, because I did look at this uh, a couple months ago as people were asking once it became clear what picks the Kraken would have. Now, in the last decade, there have been two instances of teams bundling two second round picks to move up to the first round. And one of them was last year. So that trade was pick 27 for pick 40 and 51. So a couple seconds bundled for a late first. Also in 2014, you have pick 28 for pick 35 and 57. So the Kraken do have pick 35. They also pick 49. So kind of working with the numbers there should be pretty doable. I think there was also one instance of a team uh, trading a second and a third. It was a high second, but trading a second and a third to move up in the late first. So the Kraken definitely have the ammo to do it. It would probably cost a couple seconds. Mm -hmm. Um you know, if it's really late first, you know, if it's 31 or 32, maybe even a second and a third will get it done. Might take that pick 35, which is, I think, pick three of the second round. Yeah. Or, yeah. So that's what it would take uh, to get that done. Now, um, other question from Chris. Are there any mid to late first round players you would like to see the Kraken trade at some of those seconds for? So if they are looking to do that, they clearly have the ability to. Is there anyone you see, Dylan, that if they're still there, you know, pick 26, 27, 28, that you would make a move to go get? Yeah, really quick, before we leave the idea of packages, this is where the Kraken having three fourth rounders could also come in, as the as the package might not just have to be the two seconds or anything. You mentioned a, th a third. You might be able to get by throwing in, you know, the Kraken's own pick at the top of the fourth round. You could you could maybe make that a sweetener to get it done, any sort of deal uh, to package up there. Uh, just want to mention that. Um, yeah, there's tons of players that I like. What's interesting is this this draft, while it lacks like kind of the top end, you know, excitement and like, wow, these guys are going to be the future superstars and all that kind of stuff. It's actually a pretty dr deep draft of guys that I would consider first round worthy most years. Um, so there, there's a really good chance that someone I like is going to fall to the Kraken at 35. But there are several guys that I think are kind of locked into the second half of the first round that I would not mind seeing the Kraken move up for. Um, the first name that comes to mind for me is Liam Ugrin. I love this kid's offensive potential uh, playing in Sweden again. Guy just scores goals. I think that's super important. I like everything about him. He's got the size to hang in the NHL. I think he plays a very mature game, uh, a pretty NHL-ready game, if I'm honest. Like He might only need one more year of development before he could come in and start contributing. Um, but I just love his his overall game. I, I love his scoring potential. I just kind of love everything about him. I think he's going to go in the late teens, early 20s. So I think that's that's probably where the Kraken would have to trade up to get him. But if he if he starts slipping 24, 25, I, I, if I'm Ron Francis, I start making phone calls and aggressively trying to move up to get him. He's my top candidate as far as that. Um, Brad Lambert's kind of all over the place. In, in mocks and rankings and stuff but I think if he's going to be there in the in like the mid-ish 20s because people are just completely worried about him I think he is someone that for sure the Kraken should move up and go and get because I think overall his offensive upside 
is so ready. I think he's NHL ready in a lot of ways too. I just think he had, you know, a series of unfortunate events over there in Finland this past year that kind of contributed to where he's ranked now versus where he was ranked before the season began. So Brad Lambert, if he falls, he's someone I'm interested in moving up for. And of course he might be in the Kraken's backyard next season as uh, the Seattle Thunderbirds just traded for his rights yesterday. That is true. It's going to be very interesting to see if he goes ahead and makes the leap over. Um, Those are the two guys that are, that are, in my mind, kind of for sure. I think with Amir Shinchenko, I really like him. I like a lot of the stuff he brings. I have concerns about his style of play being very like kind of power forward and whether or not he's ever going to be big enough to be successful at that at the NHL level, you know, weighing at the combine 6'1", 185. Even if you say he adds 15 pounds of muscle, makes him 200, I still just don't know that he's he's going to be able to have his game translate in the same style to the NHL. I still think he's plenty skilled and he's going to be a good NHL player one day. Um, I just don't know that he would be my like trade-up target uh, rather than waiting. A lot of defensemen that I like, like a lot of defensemen that I like, but I think you can wait and one of them is going to be available for you at 35. Uh, my favorite, Cali Odelius. I think he's the best. I think he plays a really fun, mature game. He's got all the hallmarks of a Swedish defenseman. I say, go ahead. He's probably going to make it to the second round realistically. So I think if he's there at, at 35, he's someone the Kraken should target. Um, I like Jagger Furcus. I don't know that I'd trade up for him, though, <laughs> is, the, is the thing. Because at the end of the day, he reminds me a lot of Corey Perry, but without Corey Perry's size and strength. And I don't know how mm-hmm. well a Corey Perry style player fits in if, you know, I mean, he could add 20 pounds of muscle, RJ, and be 171. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's brutal with Jagger. If he's there in the second round, top of the second round, I take him. Same thing with Owen Beck. I think Owen Beck, again, doesn't have necessarily the offensive upside, but this is a guy who is going to be a facial, a face-off specialist in the NHL. Fantastic 2C, even if he's your 3C. Like, oh my gosh, you're you're going to win so many great battles. He's going to lock down other teams completely for you. I really like Owen Beck. But again, I'm not sure I'd, I'd make a package mm-hmm. of all that stuff to move into the first round for him. Now, I want to ask you about one more name that you had kind of in the late 20s in your recent mock draft. And I think he might be the most polarizing player in the draft. Although, you know, there's some guys at the top that could maybe uh, mm-hmm. vie for that. But uh, Lane Hudson. Five foot yeah. eight defenseman. Uh, he's, you know, the size is obviously the concern. Yeah. But supremely skilled. Is he someone uh, that, that you would maybe trade up for or, or someone you'd like to see the Kraken take? Uh, certainly if he's there at 35, I think you could take him. And that's that's fantastic because his upside is, you know, number one power play quarterback in the NHL. Like like that is his upside. His offensive abilities and smarts are that legit. Um I think he could push to be, you know, a a top pairing defenseman. Like if all the offensive stars align for him, he can kind of push there. I still don't know that you'd be like, yeah, we can, you know, in a playoff series, rely on you playing playing 25 minutes a night for us. Like that's that's where I I run into things. Um, But as far as like the defenseman, in my opinion, that is, you know, the most solid offensively, the the most, you know, next Kale McCarr or whatever it is that you want to say, he is that guy. He's the one defenseman I'd consider moving into the first round, but again, I the the size concerns are very very real, and his ability mm. to be effective at that size defensively 
you know, to offset the offense a little bit. If he is going to be a top pairing guy for you, I just don't know that they're there. And I don't mean like, oh, he might not be strong enough to kind of manhandle guys in front of the net. I'm talking like at 5'8", your stick is significantly shorter. Your overall reach and ability to cover the ice, block passing lanes, you know what I mean? Like all that stuff is diminished. Um, and, and that's where I just, again, I don't know that it's worth giving up all of those assets for it. Right. All right. So we got through a lot of names there kind of in that, in that late first, early second window, let's push a little deeper here. Got a question from Seattle Kraken GM. I need the five players we're taking in the second and very early third round. And yes, three of them can be giant right-handed defensemen. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think there's going to be guys that fall into the second rounds that you're going to have a shot at if you're if you're the Kraken. So let's say at the top of the second, um, you know, and, and Owen Beck falls, I, I would love to see the Kraken grab him at 35. I think with your next pick, it's possible, my guy, let's say in, in a perfect world, Caliodelius is there for you. Uh, just because teams, you know, they, they go on an insane run of defensemen earlier on and he's the one who's left out. Um, late second, I mean, that's when I would consider a goaltender probably if I'm the Kraken. And and I know we have a goaltending mm-hmm. question coming up, so <laughs> we'll talk about which goaltender that would be. But I would I would use one of those those lower of the four picks on a defenseman. And then to be honest, I would consider flipping one of the four seconds if at that point you haven't traded any of them, flipping them for something next year. Just kind of spreading out the wealth a little bit, whether it's a second next year that you're counting on being higher or, you know, heck, we've seen it. If there's somebody that somebody's absolutely in love with at 35, you might be able to trade that for a first the following season. It's happened before. Right. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And you don't want to have too much kind of in one year with the prospects, you know, kind of competing with each other. There's only so many spots in a given year. Usually Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't want to line up too much. So that's a very good point that you make. Um, So. Next group of questions, kind of about the timing of these prospects and when they might reach the NHL, uh, that sort of thing. And, and I think you could really kind of enlighten us on this. Um, this is uh, from Lena. How likely is it that any of the potential Kraken picks will play in the NHL next season? Uh, and then Sergeant Pickles asked, because they have to fill out an AHL roster, do we expect them to keep all the picks or possibly even acquire more? Uh, and then Hunter says, should the Kraken prioritize more NHL-ready players in the draft or just best player available? So all kind of on that theme of yeah. when can we expect these these draft picks uh, to contribute, not just for the Kraken, I guess, but even in the AHL for the Firebirds. Yeah, so I've I've talked about this on the Discord a little bit with people. I don't think that any of these players, I think it's going to be similar to last year with the exception of Cole Sillinger last year. I'm not sure any of these players anywhere in this draft, forgetting just who's going to be available to the Kraken, I'm not sure anybody's going to play a full NHL season this year. I think it's possible if, you know, Montreal just needs it for the fan base, they bring in Shane Wright, but he'll be in a bottom six capacity most of the year. I'm not sure it would be best for his development. Again, whoever takes Slavkovsky might do it just because, hey, we're a bad franchise. We need this kind of shot in the arm just to kind of put butts in seats. But it would it would for sure, in his case, not be best for his development to have limited playing time. Um, so... Nobody that the Kraken is going to take this year is going to play for the Kraken this year. Maybe you have a similar situation to Matty Beneers where whoever they take at four really puts in the work and develops a lot over the course of the season. So whenever their season ends, wherever they're playing, they can kind of come in and, and you, 
you know, kind of have a cup of coffee at the NHL level. But I think depending on who it is, like I, I talked about with Nemich, Nemich is probably ready the following season. You can give him one more year to develop, and then you could probably bring him in depending on how your defensive, you know, everything looks at that point. I think you could bring him in the following season. I think that would be a similar case with um, a lot of the guys at the top, really. Um, looking all the way through Kamel, I think you could probably, they, they, they probably only need one year before they can come in and, and be NHL players. And they're probably not going to be effective NHL players at that point. But that's just when that's the next stage of development for them. Um, as for the AHL question, because yeah, I saw that going around a lot, them having to fill out now a full AHL roster. The draft, this draft is not going to do that for them, at least not anytime soon. Um, vast majority of players that are drafted are going to, you know, if they're from Europe, they're going to stay in their European system, wherever they're at there. They're going to, you know, maybe just advance from the junior level to the adult level, uh, but they're going to stay in Europe. Uh, the other guys, anybody you draft from the Canadian Major Junior Leagues, they're going to stay in the Canadian Major Junior Leagues potentially for two more seasons. So because that's when they're eligible to play there. And, and that's generally what you want to do with them is you want to keep them in that system for as long as possible. And then at that point, they're either ready to graduate to the NHL or they'll join your AHL system. Um, so as for the Firebirds, you're you're realistically you're probably looking at two years plus for any of these guys getting to uh, Coachella Valley there. And I and I think Ron Francis also echoed that kind of saying that th there won't be any kind of special preference for maybe drafting overagers or, or older mm -hmm. players in the draft uh, just because they have to fill out a roster in Coachella Valley. And I think that's the right thing to do. Um, and then yeah, from Hunter, you know, should the Kraken prioritize more NHL players at the draft or just best player available? Uh, sorry, NHL ready, best player available, right? Yeah, every year, every pick, it's best player available. I don't care if you've got a million left wings in your in your you know um, system. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Uh, I don't care if you have a million or defensemen, whatever it is. You've oh, this guy's a left-handed defenseman. We've already got three of those. Maybe we should take this worst guy, but he's right-handed. No, those are all stupid reasons to draft. As far as I'm concerned, I would not do any of those things. I think you take the best one, and if you and if they all develop. Because that's the thing is most of the time they don't all develop. But if for some reason they all developed and now you have six NHL, you know, top six caliber left wingers. Well, guess what? You get to go feast on the trade market and get whatever you need that is NHL ready at any of those positions. Like, I just think you always have to choose best available um, regardless of where you're at in the draft or anything. And like I said, most I mean, really, a lot of time go look at AHL rosters. There's it's a it's it's about 50 50 as far as like guys that are being developed for the NHL team versus guys that are just kind of career AHLers like you, you're not you don't really use the draft just to fill out your AHL system. That's just not, you know, ultimately how it works as guys just kind of fall away uh, year after year. Right. You'll have a lot of guys like, uh, say, Gustav Olofsson, who the Kraken just mm -hmm. re-signed. I want to throw that in there because it is Kraken yeah. news. Yep. Uh, but, you know, spent all last season with Charlotte. He'll, he'll spend next season with the Firebirds. But you'll see guys like that. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Got to the Kraken news as part of that question. All right. Last but certainly not least, mm -hmm. this one from Striatic. And it's not really a question so much as a demand. Mm -hmm. Force Dylan to talk about goalies. So, Dylan... Talk about goalies. Right. Actually, well, wait, before you do, okay. before you do, okay. Baderos added to this, talk about goalies, Dylan. What are you afraid of? So I guess I'll start with that question. Dylan, what are you afraid of? 
I'm not. I I don't understand where this conception came from. Just because I didn't have them taking one at fourth overall, everybody thought I like hated all the goaltenders or something. No, I. You know, look. I don't know why everyone gets on me about this for not mocking goaltenders going in the first round when RJ's out here being like, you know, hey, they're all cheap. You should never pay them. They don't deserve to make millions of dollars. They're replaceable. Like, come on, guys. Um, <laughs> Just deflecting, Dylan. Just deflecting. Answer the question. It's Talk what I do. Goalies. It's why when, you know, all my other careers fail, I'm just going to end up a very successful politician because I'm very good at deflecting blame. Uh, no, so goaltenders, like I said, I want the Kraken to use one of their second round picks on a goaltender. I think, you know, whatever the lowest level of your second round pick you have, I think that's really around the, the second half of the second round is where the top two goaltenders are going to be taken. I think if, if you can have your choice between them, all the better. Otherwise, just take whichever one's there. Those two goaltenders, of course, being um, Tyler Brennan of the uh, Prince George and the WHL. And uh, where is the other guy's name Finn here. right yeah he's he's finished where did his name go he was right here um yeah uh, Topas Tobias uh Leninen I guess is how you'd say it there's no there's no fancy umlauts or anything over any of the letters so I'll just kind of go with the straight pronunciation there um and really this is a tale of two goaltenders that the Kraken fans are probably pretty familiar with Right. We talked about all season Grubauer. He's kind of that more like I'm going to play the angles. I'm going to just going to be rock solid in my positioning. And, and that's going to be what I lean on and, and be successful with. Whereas Chris Drieger was a little more, you know, hey, reflexes. I'm going to be kind of all over the place. Yeah, I'm going to charge out of my crease to make a routine save or whatever. But because that's just how I'm feeling, how I feel like I should be attacking this sh- you know, shot being presented to me. And if I'm having to, you know, sit on my butt and just kind of wave my arms around and catch it, that's what I'm going to do. And that that's the two goaltenders here that, that, you know, the Kraken potentially are going to have to choose between in the second round. Tyler Brennan is the Chris Drieger type. He relies on his reflexes and his, you know, just kind of innate ability to guess at what the shooter is going to do and respond to it. Um, he does not have the polish, the years of experience, all that kind of stuff that uh, Leninen has on the other end. But he is just, like I said, he's just kind of got this sixth sense for reading what shooters are going to be able to do and reacting to it and getting a part of his body in the way, which at the end of the day, I mean, that's all the goaltender has to do. We can talk about, like we did with, with Drieger, rebound control and all that kind of stuff. But really, when you're looking at an 18-year-old that you're drafting that's going to be three-plus years away from the NHL, I don't really care about that. Take you know, If you think this kid's got the reflexes to do it, do you know, take him. On the other hand, you have Lennon in who is he's a Finnish goaltender. He is rock solid in his positioning. Everything is just kind of like picture perfect about him. His frame is better. 6'5", 233. I mean, if that is not the most like textbook ideal goaltending frame that you could hope for, I don't know what is. Um, so it, but, but it is, you know, he plays things a little bit more safe. He's going to rely on his positioning and playing the angles. Um, he was taken by surprise as he moved through the system, uh, in Finland, as he played against men, the little bit that he did, the little action that he got this year, there were some plays and things that, you know, elite tier, uh, players will do that, that caught him by surprise. He was not prepared for, he didn't really have an answer for as far as, you know, 
when to push off and try to move cross crease, when to get your, your stick out and, and try to block a passing lane, all that kind of stuff is going to be the things that he's going to have to focus on and learn as he develops. So, you know, as with most draft eligible goaltenders, there are a lot of things that both guys need to work on. I, it's one of those things where I watch Brennan play and I just kind of get this, like my, my scouting sense just goes, that guy's got it. Like, I don't know what it is, and I can't say why I like him, but I think he should be the guy. Even though everything in my brain is screaming, you go Lennon in because he is finished for one. He's got the size <laughs> two. He he has all of the positioning, and he's just solid all the way. Like, my brain is screaming, you have to go there, but there's just a piece of me. And this is a very real, real thing if you ever talk to scouts. You'll just get a feeling about a guy, and I do just kind of have a feeling about Brennan. All right. I mean, that's interesting trade off there. If so, if you're the scout here talking to Ron Francis, do you kind of just lay it all out like that? Is that how you yeah, say basically. it? And just let him make the decision? Yeah. In our pre-draft meetings, that's what I'm doing is I'm going to say, look, every this guy over here, Lennon, and he checks all the boxes. Everything is there. But I just have a feeling about this guy. And, and that's kind of it. And they're, they're GMs, usually not in the first two rounds, but after that, they will. They'll, they will literally ask kind of at the table. I've heard Ken Holland talk about this. I've heard Brian Burke talk about this. I've turned tons and tons of NHL GMs. Late in drafts, fourth round, they're just going to look around the table and just kind of be like, well, anybody have somebody? And that's the time when you're just like, hey, you know what? I just got a feeling about this guy. And the GM won't make you explain it. He'll just say, like, you're just like, yeah, I got a feeling maybe he'll make you give like one example why. And then they just go with it. So it's one of those. Um, but I think the Kraken should have a goaltender in the system. I think these guys are definitely a cut above. I want one of them in the Kraken system. And like I said, there are pros and cons to both. Whichever Ron Francis and the Kraken scouting staff feels is the better way to go. I, you know, I'll believe it and I'll be totally supportive of it. So there we go. I uh, we forced Dylan to talk about goalies. Hopefully, got, everyone's happy now. I was impassioned. I was animated. I spent a lot of time <laughs> there. Like I gave you good reviews there. Like come on, I care about the goaltenders. It's not my fault that last year there was two first round worthy guys, and this year there isn't. Yeah. No. What more could anyone want? I I'm in full agreement there. You you gave the people uh, what what they wanted. Um, but I have one more question for you, and this one is a very late submission, actually. Okay. Not even necessarily for this mailbag, um, but I was I was going and checking on Twitter as we were recording this, um, looking for that uh, the the draft trade stat or whatever, uh -huh. and I found that Medeiros, who um, asked what you were afraid of earlier, yeah. uh, had asked a, a question and tagged us in this, um, and I thought it'd be good to answer this here on the podcast while well, we've got it up. Mm. Um, so, Dylan, here's the question. When people talk about acquiring, acquiring players, especially through drafting, it's always talked about in order of usefulness, center greater than winger, greater than defense, greater than goalie. What do centers do differently from wingers that makes them more valuable? What's different about their skill development? Yeah, so a center, it's, it's, a, it's a lot, really. Um, center is going to be the guy that you're leaning on for, for both offense and defense. And, and that's, at the end of the day, the, the reason why they're more important. Offensively, you're leaning on them as, well, one, face-offs in, in all three zones. Center, most of the time, is going to be your face-off person. You need them to be good at that. And that's something that dictates whether or not you're starting with possession or not at any given point in time. There's certainly key moments where that can be a big factor. So we'll just go ahead and get the elephant out of the room. They take face-offs, you know, certainly more than wingers. That's why they're more important. 
Um, a center is oftentimes who's going to be driving your offense and your defense defensively, just because that's kind of easier to get out of the way. They're responsible for monitoring the middle part of the ice, the slot. Usually that's where the, where your center is going to roam. That is the most dangerous spot. That's the spot where if a shooter is there looking at your goaltender, they have the most options to choose from to pick your goaltender apart. That's where all most puck movement is going to have to happen through, right? You're going to have to pass from one side of the ice to the other, uh, to create offensive chances. So your center is the guy patrolling that area. Most of the time, the Kraken had some exceptions. Like when McCann was playing wing, he would switch over in the defensive zone. You would cover that. But again, he's got center experience. Um, so defensively, your center is patrolling all that. He's going to be the guy dipping down all the way down towards your net to try to help your team. Crosby is, I think, the best example of that. If if anybody gets lost by his defenseman or his defenseman have to go behind the net to, to try to deal with something or into a corner, Crosby is always right there to make sure that there's there's always that solid presence net front. No one is going to bother their goaltender. That's what your center can do offensively and i and I'll, I'll hand most of this over to you rj you could talk about it um but they're they're driving your offense they're they don't necessarily have a set spot to be in the offensive zone they're going to be the person roaming they're going to be the person you know with the puck trying to cycle it around trying to find offense like we saw maddie Beniers go find trying to find um open teammates and stuff or or getting open themselves for things so again it's 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 one of those positions where if they're good at that, they're going to find teammates more often. They're going to be open more often, all of that kind of stuff. So it's just, you know, one of those things of those are where your best chances are coming from. So that's, that's kind of how I see it offensively. You obviously have a lot more experience doing it than I do though. Right. Offensively as a center, you're able to improvise a lot more. Uh, you know, wingers kind of have their set spots they're supposed to be. And I'm, you know, at the end of the day in the NHL, though, you, you kind of just got F1, F2, yeah. F3. But still, centers in general have a lot more leeway and they've got more defensive responsibilities. But yeah, offensively, they're they're kind of the ones creating more often than not, uh, whereas wingers more of a north-south type game. And it, and it opens up certain things. That's kind of why you, you almost build a line around a center, right? Because they have those extra responsibilities that extra freedom to do those sorts of things and um tying it back to the draft and, and we kind of mentioned we're talking about p drafting for position a little bit early on in the draft where we'd kind of rather take a center and like say logan cooley or shane wright that's that's why they are more important of a position that is why guys talk about wanting to build down the middle while you'll see teams even reach for centers at the top of the draft um you know Jesperi sperry barrett hayton those are a couple names that come to mind recently uh, of guys who were picked maybe earlier than people thought but because they're centers they project as centers uh there's more demand from teams there um so i, I think that's kind of why you see it particularly with drafting um so good good question i'm glad we got to touch on that um before we go, but I think that's that's all we have in, in terms of questions. Yeah, now I, I know I did a, you know more research on the, the prospects and everything, RJ, but before we go, I want to know, is there anybody you like out there? Anybody you want the Kraken to get maybe at the second round or anything? Or anybody you want to talk about that we just didn't talk about? Right. I mean, there there were a lot of names mentioned. I, you know, I, I will say, uh, you know, I talked about what I wanted kind of for pick number four. Um, I'm glad you talked about Frank Nazar because he's I, I think I'd rank him as high as five or six if I were to kind of do my big board. Um, there is one name that we didn't mention that that I think stood out to me. You had him in, in the first round of your mock draft, though, so I'm sure, you know, you noticed him. But um, Gleb Trikozov, I think, you know, is his name. He um, 
you know, he kind of stood out to me both in numbers wise and, and watching some of the tape I was able to see on him, you know, from the KHL. He, he, he looked good to me. He's someone that I would um, would really like if he fell to pick number 35 for the Kraken. I don't know how many assets I'd give up to, to trade up into the late first round just because, um, you know, that's not always the best idea to trade up into that spot, just asset management wise. Uh, but he's someone that I would kind of hope would fall to 35 uh, in addition to some of the other names you mentioned. Um, but that that's one that I would hope that the Kraken would take. Yeah, I've seen him fall to the second round in a lot of mock drafts. It's interesting. In a lot of prospect rankings, he's in the top 32, but in most mock drafts, he's in the second round. And it is and it is interesting. I don't know why <laughs> that is. Uh, maybe it's just the Russian, Russian factor. factor. Yeah. Um, interesting, though, he was the name that stood out most to me on the Bob McKenzie rankings, all the way down at 57. And that's, like, criminal to have him that low. Like, unless there's something yeah, that you and I don't know, there is no reason he should be that low. And I'll, yeah, so um, I think he, I think he's a first round worthy talent for sure. Um, and yeah, if, if the Kraken took him at the top of the second round, or even if he's going to hang around into the middle of the second round, I'd love if the Kraken could add him to their system for sure. All right. All right. But so this, obviously this deep dive, we're answering a lot of viewer questions, talking about this very much through the Kraken lens because it is our Kraken podcast. But I want to remind everybody, and I'll probably throw up an on-screen graphic because we didn't do it earlier with all of our shenanigans at the beginning of the draft, right. uh, beginning of the podcast. Um, we are going to be you know, live for that first round on draft night, July 7th. So uh, I want everyone to join us for that. If you have any, any um, questions about anybody who's going to be taken that's going to be the perfect time to do it, you know, kind of just outside of the Kraken uh, because we're going to be watching the draft. We're going to be watch them be taken. We're going to be live just like, you know, our post games and everything, right? You can ask us all of those awesome questions. We'll be in- able to engage with you guys in real time, which is just always the best way of doing any of this stuff as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I just wanted to remind everybody that that is for sure happening. I'm just, oh, I'm so excited for it, RJ. <laughs> Me too. Very much looking forward to that. Be able to spend the whole first round with everyone, see all the picks, the surprises, uh, you know, get to talk uh, about who the crack can take it for and, yeah. and just see if they trade up all that. Uh, it'll be a really fun night. Right. And it's almost like all that time between the picks is going to be like beneficial for us as media members, RJ. Because we'll be able to analyze and dissect the pick and talk with our community and answer questions. You know, we won't be able to interview yep. them, but... It's, I finally get it now. I know, right? Just to kind of bring things full circle. So it's almost like it is done for a reason, and we're going to be finally be able to benefit from it. <laughs> there we go. Glad, glad to be on this side of it now. I know. Um, all right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this jam-packed uh, deep dive uh, episode. It was a lot of fun to, to record. Can't wait to see everybody's responses to it. And then, like I said, cannot wait to interact with everybody on draft night as we finally get to see how this whole thing shakes out. But until then, we will see you next time.